What did early Pentecostals think about pacifism and war? What does preaching the gospel have to do with warfare? Should Christians ever kill each other in war? I'm Dennis Metzler and you're listening to The Charge. Frank Bartleman was a pastor and reporter closely associated with the Azusa Street Revival, though he was not a member or official spokesman for the mission. The following is an excerpt from Bartleman's Christian Citizenship, written after World War I. It is taken from Pentecostal and Holiness Statements on War and Peace by Jay Beeman and Brian Pipkin. Bartleman writes, He who justifies the church in going to war under the gospel proves he knows absolutely nothing of the nature of the gospel. In times of war, we are forbidden to preach the gospel. One must preach murder, hate, and revenge. The gospel teaches love your enemy, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you, and resist not evil. The Christian must obey the gospel. We are bound to obey God rather than men. Government is squarely up against God in its demands on Christians during wartime, and Christians are squarely up against the question whether they shall obey God or man. Can we imagine Jesus or the apostles going to war at the behest of the Roman government, converting men by the power of the gospel and later killing these same converts across some imaginary boundary line? Imagine Christian meeting Christian on the actual field of battle and murdering one another. To a really converted man, the idea is unthinkable. First gospel, then bullets? How are the mighty fallen? War? For what? Territory? Commerce? For the supremacy of one nation over another? Our gospel is a gospel of love, not hate or murder. The Christian dare not obey even government decree when opposing the command of God to him. He must not seek to harm an enemy. He cannot engage in war under any circumstances without doing violence to the spirit and command of Christ. One of the greatest crimes of the late war was that of robbing the church of her sacred calling and pilgrim role, turning her aside from the saving of souls to plunge into the vortex of world politics and patriotism with all its fallen prejudices and preferences, avarices, cruelties, hates, and murders. The church is no place to flaunt the flags of national preference. God's grace and gospel are international. Christ died for all men. The flags represent fallen nations with fallen nationalistic, sectional prides, ambitions, etc. that breed strife, enmity, jealousy, and war, for they are without Christ. We do not belong to them." End quote. Bartleman hyperbolically decries the ignorance of those believers who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and going to war are compatible. But he appears to overstate his case when he declares, in times of war we are forbidden to preach the gospel. However, many American Christians during World War I who resisted the draft or publicly spoke out or published sentiments against participation in World War I were in fact arrested and jailed. Some were even killed extrajudicially for their opposition to the war. If many were in fact forcibly prevented from preaching the gospel insofar as the gospel disallowed believers from taking part in war, how many thousands more were prohibited from preaching the gospel of peace by raw peer pressure? 
Some might protest the close correlation being made here between the gospel of Jesus and resistance to participation in warfare. Jesus Christ died for our sins that we might die to sin with him and with him be raised to new life. What does this have to do with war? Let us be clear that Jesus came as a king, and every patriotic Jew of his time had a reason to expect their king to lead them in battle, to throw off the oppressive rule of Rome. But our gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God, led by a king who rules by dying, not killing. Jesus freely gave himself up to a torturous death, engineered by the leaders of his own people at the hands of the henchmen of the empire. Christ called his people to be ready to follow him in suffering and death. Take up your cross and follow me. The cross is more than symbol here. The political and military actualities surrounding Jesus' death are not mere accidents to the story. They are essential. Loving enemies in the context of Jesus' own conflicts therefore has to refer to more than personal enemies and must include political and military enemies as well. Forgiveness of sin and the new life in the spirit of the people of God coincide with the retreat from worldly entanglements and patterns of living. Jesus declared in John 18.36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight that I might not be handed over to the Jews. Jesus recognizes and rejects the means by which the kingdoms of the world do business. Lethal force. In contrast, Christ emphasizes that he and his followers must live out their citizenship according to the dictates of the kingdom of God, a full-time duty not altered or distorted by so-called realistic demands. Bartleman raises the prospect of Jesus or the apostles going to war for Rome, but the question for the earliest believers was whether or not they would go to war for Israel, not Rome. Jesus had the means to successfully lead Israel out from under Roman occupation, yet he outrageously chose to die on a cross. But Bartleman's question does apply to those Christians, at least as early as 173 AD, who did serve in the emperor's armies. Bartleman leads us to imagine the ludicrous incongruity of sending our young men on evangelistic mission to a foreign country and then sometime later sending them back to slaughter those same people, even those they converted. We must consider Christ's prayer for the unity of believers in John 17. What can be more anti-Christian than believers meeting each other on the battlefield to annihilate each other? Yet we have century after century of wars, particularly in Europe and the American Civil War, where this fratricide was a daily reality. True Christian citizenship and the radical distinction between the church and the kingdoms of the world is the center that Bartleman keeps coming back to. He says how the church was robbed of her identity and calling during World War I to serve instead the gods of nationalism, patriotism, greed, and ultimately death. The body of believers is no place for divisions under national flags, but can only exist as the body of Christ under the sign of the cross. Under our great host of flags denoting national sovereignty, we are ready to kill fellow Christians. Under the cross of our forsaken Savior, we are willing to die for our enemies. Bartleman certainly knows Paul's appeal to his Roman citizenship at times, but nonetheless clearly declares that believers do not belong in any ultimate sense to the nations of the world. 
the church backs its mission to redeem humanity with a willingness to die. The nations of this world back their mission to further their own economic and political agendas with a willingness to kill. As much as people have tried to wed the church and the state since the time of Constantine, whether explicitly as in the Holy Roman Empire or de facto as in the American experiment, this illicit marriage cannot exist and have the church looking anything like Jesus and him crucified. Is there a cost to refusing to take up arms and kill the enemy? Absolutely. A pacifist stance held by too many people could offer little to stop the worst of atrocities. On the other hand, tyrants are dependent on their subjects being non-pacifist in order to use them in committing atrocities. If we start with the end in mind, that is security from our enemies, we will use whatever means necessary to accomplish that goal. However, if we follow the way of the crucified Savior, we start with the means in mind and we trust God for whatever end may come to pass. Jesus was very aware of what he was doing when he let himself be crucified and called his followers to do the same. But that is not the end of the story. Then, on the third day, but the resurrection is not the only miracle that counts in our consideration of warfare. The Pentecostal movement has always rightly emphasized the power of the Holy Spirit to manifest all sorts of signs and wonders. We need to plan our responses to scarcity, deprivation, and violence with the expectation that God will indeed act. But regardless of whether God miraculously intervenes in ways favorable to us or not, we need to always be ready to follow Jesus in taking the way of the cross. I'm Dennis Metzler, and you've been listening to The Charge. I've got a lot more podcasts, so please check them out. Peace to everyone.